Welcome to another podcast from the Royal College of Psychiatrists. My name is Raj Pasord and I'm a consultant psychiatrist based at the Betham Royal and Maudsley Hospitals in South London. Joining me today is Jean Terbege, who is an assistant professor based at the Department of Diagnostic Imaging at St. Joseph's Healthcare Hospital, and he's also attached to the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Western Ontario. He and a group of co-authors have published a fascinating paper in the October edition of the British Journal of Psychiatry. And the title of this paper is Longitudinal Grey Matter and Glutamatergic losses in first episode schizophrenia. So Jean, let me first of all uh, start off by asking you a question about one of the things you're measuring in this paper, which is glutamergic metabolite levels. Why is glutamergic metabolism thought to be important in schizophrenia? Um, one of the things that uh, is found in schizophrenia is uh, some, you know, many different problems with uh, the frontal lobe and um, problems hearing voices and uh, things like that. And we tend to categorize um, the different symptoms of schizophrenia in positive and negative symptoms. We found in the past there's a lot of evidence uh, showing that positive symptoms of schizophrenia, such as hallucinations and uh, things of the sort, are mainly um, a result of problems with uh, dopamine-specific neurotransmitter in the brain that is elevated and causes those problems. Of course, dopamine doesn't explain all the symptoms of schizophrenia, and it is found that glutamatergic neurotransmission, so the neurotransmission that depends on glutamate and glutamine, is also um, abnormal in schizophrenia and seems to subtend a lot of the negative symptoms of schizophrenia, so problems with um, verbal fluency, problems with cognition, attention, memory, things of the sort. It sounds as though uh, dopamine is the uh, neurotransmitter which most um, psychiatrists will associate with schizophrenia, but that this uh, glutamergic uh, pathway seems to have been relatively neglected. Why do you think that is? I think uh, there's there's been a lot more evidence for uh, kind of the dopamine hypothesis of schizophrenia, yet a, a lot less in um, uh, for the glutamatergic hypotheses of schizophrenia. So um, one thing, one of the objective of our work was to kind of demonstrate um, some of the predictions of glutamatergic models of schizophrenia in living patients. So that's one of the major advantages of the technique that we use called proton magnetic resonance spectroscopy is that we can ex- assess the brain neurochemistry in living patients. Um, so some of the predictions that we were expecting, some of the findings we were expecting from uh, the glutamatergic or the glutamate and glutamine-based hypotheses of schizophrenia um, were that we would see some abnormalities in patients with schizophrenia and that potentially these would change with time uh, to follow the somewhat typical progression of symptoms that we see in schizophrenia. So our study really looked at a um, patients in a longitudinal manner at the same time as following the glutamatergic metabolites within the brain and um, following the, the progression of symptoms as well. 
Could you say a little bit more about uh, why uh, glutamine might be important in schizophrenia? What do we know about its role in the normal brain, and how does that help us understand why it might be linked uh, with, with psychotic disorders? Precisely when we look at um, schizophrenia, many of the symptoms and many of the brain uh, pathways that are involved in uh, transacting the type of task with which uh, people with schizophrenia have uh, difficulty with or have abnormal behaviors, so the, the type of behaviors that we're interested in seem to um, have an effect on you know, regardless of the type of etiology or the, the, the type of cause that might be behind schizophrenia, seem to have a final common pathway that affects um, the basal ganglia thalamocortical pathway. So that's a very kind of large network within the brain that involves many areas. And two of the areas of interest uh, in our study were the anterior cingulate cortex and uh, the thalamus, which are two important regions within that um, neuronal network that we know is implicated in, in schizophrenia. And the reason why glutamate and glutamine are important is because the connections, many, almost all the connections between the different regions of this neuronal circuit are based on glutamate neurotransmission. And glutamate neurotransmission um, at the synaptic level is um, mainly uh, driven by something we call the glutamate-glutamine cycle. And basically, there's a, a bundling of glutamate, which is a, an amino acid that's also used in the brain as a neurotransmitter uh, within vesicles. And the vesicles, um, when it's time to transmit their chemical message, are uh, merged with the cellular membrane and the glutamate is released. And this is how the chemical message is transported to another neuron, for example, which is part of that network. Um, where glutamine comes into play is um, because the, the two are somewhat interchangeable. Glutamine is a precursor of glutamate, so it, when before uh, glutamate can be bundled into uh, synaptic vesicles, it has to be uh, derived from glutamine. And then as well, when glutamate, after it's been released in the synaptic cleft, it, it is up, taken up again by um, glial cells that surround the, the synapse and kind of recycle the uh, glutamate. So it transforms the glutamate again into glutamine in, in somewhat of an inactive uh, metabolite and is slowly transported back to the original synapse where it will be again transformed to glutamate and used for neurotransmission again. So there's a, a large cycle that we call the glutamate-glutamine cycle that is really important in glutamatergic neurotransmission. So this is where glutamine is important. What's interesting is that glutamine um, is mainly, um, is only observed within that glutamate-glutamine cycle. So really the level of glutamine is a, is a really good indicator of what is happening in terms of glutamatergic neurotransmission. On the other end, glutamate is just about everywhere in the brain. It's just about everywhere within a neuronal cell. So when we measure the glutamate itself, the glutamate signal that we measure using our magnetic resonance spectroscopy technique, um, we, not, we don't only measure signal from 
neurotransmission, but we also measure glutamate that's involved in other meta metabolic processes than neurotransmission itself. So we, we think our point of view is that glutamine is a much better marker of neuronal um, glutamatergic neurotransmission than glutamate. So glutamate and glutamine are very close together, but glutamine is a better indicator of neurotransmission. Let's talk about the study itself then, because you weren't just looking at glutamine and glutamate. You were also looking at gray matter volume. You followed up a group of patients. Um, tell us a little bit about the methodology of the study, um, a, a little bit about the control group and what you did to the uh, patient group. Okay, um, this was a, a very large study that we started in 1998, so that gives you an idea of the scale and how long um, this, could, this has taken, um, and also how difficult it is to follow patients um, over a great length of time. So the idea was to study um, never-treated patients at a, um, experiencing a first episode of schizophrenia. So we have fairly young a group of patients um, that have never um, been medicated and have never um, experienced schizophrenia, an episode of schizophrenia before. So this is really a very difficult group of patients to uh, find. We have a special program within our community that is aimed at uh, detecting early psychosis. And working with this program, we're able to recruit a population of patients that has never been treated and just before you know, the important decision of uh, putting this person on an antipsychotic medication, they are referred to us, and if they're interested in participating in our study, we recruit them, and we're able to follow them up over time if they're willing. One of the interesting things and very uh, unique thing about our study is that we're using a high-field magnetic resonance scanner. So um, what that allows us to do is to measure uh, brain chemicals within very small regions of interest. So most studies that have been done uh, prior to our studies have used lower field strength scanner uh, or a clinical field strength scanner, which only allows them to look at fairly uh, larger regions of interest. And in that sense, um, doesn't allow them to look at a single component of the neuronal circuitry in one time. One of the advantages of, of magnetic resonance is that it doesn't only allow us to do magnetic resonance spectroscopy. It's very flexible. It allows us to do magnetic resonance imaging on top of that. Um, therefore, we were able to study not only brain chemistry, but um, look at volumetric changes that may occur within gray matter and white matter volumes. So we followed this over time for both uh, patients in uh, controls that we've matched. They were LT controls that we've matched for age, handedness, education, and as, as many parameters as we can think of. And uh, we followed them over time to see if there was any loss of gray matter and if the loss of gray matter was greater than normal in patients and in what areas of the brain this gray matter would be lost. And we've also followed if there was going to be a decline of glutamate and glutamine, as well as other metabolites in the brain um, over time. And if there was going to be a correlation between the loss of metabolites and the loss of gray matter. What were your findings? What we found is that um, in first episode schizophrenia, 
um, we find elevated levels of glutamine in both the anterior cingulate and in, in the thalamus. And um, we've also found that mainly in the thalamus in, in uh, our report is that there is a progressive decrease of glutamine over time. So we've studied patients um, before ever being medicated at their first episode, and we've studied them um, again 10 months later on average and approximately 30 months, which is two and a half years later after the start of medication as well. So we have three different time points, and um, the different the average uh, time between the never treated time point and the last time point is approximately two and a half years or, or um, 30 months. And uh, what we found is that in the left thalamus, which is uh, one of the regions that we've studied, levels of glutamine were progressively decreasing with time. In fact, we found that after a brief period of time, so 10 months on medication, there wasn't a significant decrease in uh, in glutamate or glutamine. So it, this seemed to suggest to us that the effect of medication was minimal, at least for this short period of time, and then that the progression of the disease itself um, for a period of two and a half years actually resulted in a decrease in glutamine uh, in that region, showing that there's possibly a progressive component of the disease, at least uh, within that region. And the other uh, finding that no other study could find if they haven't combined um, the volumetric, the gray matter volumetry, with the uh, magnetic resonance spectroscopy techniques is that there was a correlation between the loss, this loss of uh, glutamine within the thalamus and some gray matter losses in other regions of the brain, such as the temporal lobe, uh, which is also important been found to be abnormal in schizophrenia as well, probably mainly related to auditory hallucinations and things of the sort. What do you think the implications of your results are? There's there's many different implications. Um, some some of the implications have to do with um, models of schizophrenia themselves. I mean, um, it is it is suggested that schizophrenia is a neurodevelopmental disease, and um, that something happens during pregnancy and that later on the effects are are, um, are revealed uh, during young adulthood. Um, this suggests that something, something happens before uh, the first onset of symptoms and that the brain should be uh, different uh, at the moment where those symptoms uh, start to present themselves. And what we found in our study is that, at least in terms of gray matter volume, there didn't seem to be any intrinsic difference between the patients and the controls. So no gray matter, you know, no lower than normal gray matter or higher than normal gray matter. And uh, same thing for, uh, well, we've mainly focused on, on gray matter within the paper. But what we found is that there was something significantly different in the brain chemistry when comparing the patients and the controls. So the problems in the neurochemistry were already evident at the, at the time where first symptoms occurred, but no, say, excitotoxic or problems that made affected the amount of gray matter present um, had already had time to uh, 
show its effect by the time first symptoms occurred. So that's that's somewhat important when we're looking, we're trying to understand the models of uh, schizophrenia uh, in terms of what is the difference between normal normal LD controls and patients with schizophrenia at the very start of the symptoms. Did something occur in terms of gray matter loss before uh, symptoms ever showed up? And our study seems to suggest that most of the changes are um, neurochemical. So that's one thing. Uh, another thing is obviously we've followed patients over time and we've shown that there seems to be a progressive component to schizophrenia. So that's another um, part of schizophrenia that is not necessarily um, textbook if we want to if we want to say it like this. Um, it's it's pretty clear from the symptoms point of view that some of the symptoms tend to get worse with time. Certainly, positive symptoms may get better once um, patients receive medication, but uh, there's a general tendency for negative symptoms and just a general state of uh, functioning, functioning to um, decrease with time and stabilize to some lower than normal um, level of uh, functioning over time. So it is. it makes sense to expect that there would be some sort of um, correspondence of this decrease in function in um, it would be reflected in levels of um, either glutamate glutamine or perhaps loss of gray matter. So one important thing that our study shows is that there we we can observe in a group of patients followed over time some progressive decreases that lead that may reflect some of the progression in symptoms. Jean Tebege, thank you very much indeed. Thank you.